Welcome to Our Plant Stories. It's a podcast where we share our plant stories and have conversations that sometimes span the globe. And along the way, we always learn how to grow a plant. It's an independent podcast born out of a passion for plants and audio. And if you enjoy it, you can support it through Buy Me A Coffee on the website, ourplantstories.com, where you can also find all the episodes from Series 1. This story begins with just one plant, a native of New Zealand, a karokia, which ignited a passion which led to a search and a word of warning. Never say to Mona Abood, these plants are only for trade. It's like being a cross between a hunter and a, and a collector. I never, had, I never thought myself as a collector. You know, when I was a child, I didn't collect, you know, stamps or, or I don't know, or whatever children collect. But once you're after something, you've got to find every single means of finding what you want. Before we embark upon the search, we should perhaps allow Mona to explain why we should all be looking out for Karokia. This is a New Zealand shrub. I've never set foot in New Zealand. It looks a bit like box, except that, and of course I'm biased, it's much nicer looking than box. And they can be topiarized like box, and, but much better than box because they flower end of April. And then in, in the autumn, you have multicolored berries. So what's not to like? There are photographs of Mona's garden on the website. It is so unlike the gardens either side of her fences. And sitting in this beautiful lush space, I think what immediately struck me were all the architectural shapes, the spiky cabbage trees, and the spiny-looking lancewoods, and Karokia in so many different shades. How did such a garden come to be in North London? I'm interested that we're sitting in your garden and we are surrounded by New Zealand plants. And I wanted to ask you a bit about your own childhood, because I believe that there might be a link there. Tell me about where you grew up. Oh, well, of all extraordinary places, I grew up in Iran, in Persia, and my father was a passionate gardener. But the thing that was very weird about him is that he didn't seem to want to plant the native things. I mean, he planted things like roses and, I mean, and, and, and he had this huge greenhouse and he, he grew carnations of all things. And then we used to spend our summers in the Lebanon, where my father comes from, and he had a huge farm, and he grew Baccarat roses that he exported as a hobby, because he was a businessman. He exported Baccarat red roses to Switzerland. In our garden, of all bizarre things, he grew hydrangeas, which required gallons of water. And sometimes, you know, we had 30, 40 degrees in the shade. I mean, really sweltering. And these hydrangeas had to be, you know, watered God knows how many times a day, I don't know. So really, I can't say that my father has very much inspired me in the choice of plants, but of course, living in the Mediterranean and they had a garden in the south of France and I lived in Italy for a few months. And so the whole Mediterranean thing um, is definitely in my blood and part of my DNA. So where did you find your first karaoke? Well, 
1995, I went to Australia, Western Australia in Perth, and of course I fell in love with the flora there. Um, and then came back and went to see my friend who lives in Suffolk in Shingle Street, you know, facing the North Sea, wind, salt, you name it, cold, the absolutely, you know, terrible weather. And uh, she actually said to me, you know what, Australian plants are marvelous, but you're not going to be able to plant many here because apart from the odd pitosporum, they won't make it. However, New Zealand, which isn't that far from there, well, still you have to get on a plane. The climate is completely different, but and it's much more similar to the British climate and particularly uh, the same island conditions. So a lot of these plants live not far from the sea and they're salt tolerant and, you know, wind tolerant, etc., etc. So she showed me one of her carochias and I really fell for it but because it looked exactly like an olive tree. The same shape leaves with the same beautiful silver on the underside. So I bought one while, whilst I was in Suffolk and planted it in my front garden in 2001. And uh, I'm sure eventually you'll take a wonderful photograph of it in my front garden, all beautifully topiarized and totally, you know, manicured and everything. And it's been there living happily since 2001. But you didn't just stop at one, did you? N well, no. How many carochia have you got in the garden? Uh, how many different types? Well, both questions, actually. All right. How many have you got, do you think, and how many different types? Maybe one question is easier to answer. Is it easier to say how many different types you've got? Yes. Let's answer that 41. <laughs> 41 different types of 41 carochia. different types. Where have you found them all? Uh, that, well, that's a very long story. Well, so once I decided that I quite like carochias, um, I had a lady gardener working for me and she knew that, you know, I was getting interested in these crazy plants. So online she found the name of a gentleman who had been to New Zealand four times in the 70s. I didn't know that when I met him. He apparently is considered as a great pioneer and as somebody who has introduced a lot of New Zealand plants to this country. He was called Graham Hutchins. Sadly, Graham Hutchins died in 2012, but I went to see him twice and it was not a happy meeting, I have to say. I mean, he was like a dog protecting his master. He wouldn't let go of any of the plants. Every time I wanted something, he said, oh, no, it's for trade, it's for trade. And, you know, it was like a battle of wills because I felt as if I had landed in, like a child in a, in a toy shop and I wasn't allowed to get anything. But I did manage to get away with a few more carochias. So then two years later, I thought I'd, I'd go back and have another go at him. And the same thing happened. No, 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 it's for trade, etc. With a lot of, um, you know, perseverance on my part, he let me have a few more. And then the poor man died in 2012. So two years later, I found out that his grandson had taken over the nursery. So I went to, to meet him. And so I said, well, I'm after, you know, more New Zealand plants and carochias, etc. And he said, no, no, they're for trade. I said, now, don't you start. 
I had a belly full with your grandfather, you know. I've, I aged 10 years having to deal with him, so come on, you know. But no, 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 he was really adamant. So he let me have a couple of, a few things, but, and I was happy with them up to a point, and that was that. And then I went back, and um, I don't know how this idea came to me. I didn't think it, you know, it would succeed. But I thought I would, I would try a touch of blackmail. So I rang him and I said, listen, Paul, I've decided I want a national collection of karaoke's. I have no intention of ever having a national collection of anything, especially karaoke's. But I thought maybe that'll budge him. Who knows? So I said, I'll come again and see what you've got. And, you know, and he grunted, but so... I wasn't very optimistic because the grunt wasn't, you know, very forthcoming. But I went back and to my utter surprise, he had lined up 10 different varieties of karaoke's in the front of the, 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 the nursery. And he said, you can have them, I'll sell them to you, no problem. So I thought, gosh, it's worked. But I still had absolutely no intention. Of having a national collection? No, no, no. You now have a national collection? I now have a national collection. Because, you know, it boomeranged on me. Paul and Mona are now firm friends. And then I started having doubts. I mean, serious doubts. I thought, even though I was totally inexperienced in the whole national collection thing, I thought... I can't just decide to have a national collection and then, you know, wash my hands off it. This is a commitment for the rest of my life. And I'm not, I'm no spring chicken. You know, at the time I was six, that was 2014. So yeah, I was 64 then. So I thought, hmm, is that such a good idea? Um, I, I was having terrible doubts. And this is when the universe comes into play and tells you this is what you need to do. This is your destiny. So I was there, you know, biting my nails and thinking, shall I, shan't I? And this friend who introduced me to my first karaoke in Suffolk, she came to visit and I showed her all the ones I had and I said, do you think I'm completely bonkers? Uh, what do you think? And she said, no, no, no. I mean, she doesn't have to do it, so of course it was easy for her to say, no, 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 you should definitely go for it. Absolutely. Oh, and that, you know, you've got a nice little variety now. Absolutely go for it. Absolutely. The friend drove back to Suffolk, stopping en route to pick up some shopping from Waitrose near Ipswich, my hometown. And there, in a stand of plants outside the supermarket, were two karaokea. Karaokea limey. Karaokea limey. I said, look, I've done every research you can imagine on what cultivars are out there. And in all my research, there is nowhere, nothing that says that there is a Corocculimi in existence. It doesn't exist. She said, look, she was getting very shirty with me by now. She said, look, do you want it or don't you? I've got this label, I'm reading it. I've got it in my hot little hand. It says Corocculimi. And, and I said, what does it look like? She said, well, what the name suggests, it's lime-colored. 
I said, okay, how many have they got? Two. I said, do you want them or not? I said, yes, get them. But where the hell did it come from? I went back online. Could I find it? No. So finally, I got my magnifying glass out and looked at this label. I mean, really, really. And right at the end of the label, literally one millimeter print, it said www.sonkut.nl. Netherlands, Holland. So I pounced on the phone and I rang and I said, look, I've just discovered this plant that you sell in a supermarket of all places. And it says, Karukia Limey, are you selling them? Yes, yes, we are selling them. He said, but we can't do anything about it for you because we only deal with trade. I thought, here we go again. I did mention, never say to Mona, we only deal with trade. And this time, Mona had a national collection of Karokias. So they did sell her limey and Welsh whiskey and banana royale. And now there was no stopping her. And she turned detective to find Karokia that Graham Hutchins had bred, shared with other gardens, and then lost. My search for Karokias took me to Roscoff in Brittany, to the botanical garden, the Jardin Botanique, because they had one of the Karukias that Graham Hutchins had lost, but they had landed there, so they propagated some for me. Then I went to the Botanical Garden in Cambridge, and more of Graham Hutchins lost Karukias they had, so they propagated some for me. Then I went all the way to Devon to RHS Rosemore, and they had more Karukias that dear Graham had lost, and they propagated some for me. Uh, so, yes, and then Holland, of course, you know. So it took me far and wide, and um, here we are. Everybody wants to recreate their childhood in the country in which they live, which is why English people who've gone to New Zealand wanted to create English gardens. And we all want to recreate a bit of where we come from. New Zealand is just, for me, it's, it's just, for me, it's the nat natural progression from Mediterranean plants. What is it that gardens do for us in that way then? What, what is it about gardens that, that root us in that way, do you think? It's, it's exactly what you've just said. It allows us to keep our roots. And in my case, because I've been uprooted so many times and I don't really know where I belong. So it's, for me, it was literally the only way I found to literally have roots. I've, I've rooted in my garden. I've, I've created roots in my garden. And that's why I will never leave my garden until I die. Feet forward. Which I hope will not be for a very long time. Mona is leaving her garden to the charity Perennial. Those of you who are regular listeners are probably sensing an offshoot, and you're not wrong. The charity Perennial has roots which go back to the 1830s and to a gathering of 200 horticulturalists in a pub just off the Strand in London. To suggest... Their employers weren't looking after them, so we should look after ourselves. We must set up some sort of benevolent association that we all subscribe to, and then that money can be distributed 
like a friendly society or a benefit society, to those that need it. That offshoot about perennials history will be coming soon. But back to the present day and Mona's garden and Karokia. When I was thinking with whom could Mona discuss her passion for this plant, my thoughts, not surprisingly, turned to New Zealand. I emailed Jo McCowell, the editor of New Zealand Gardener magazine, and she replied with a suggestion that I speak to Fiona Eady. Fiona has written the book on New Zealand native plants called 100 Best Native Plants for New Zealand Gardens. She's the head gardener at Lanark Castle in Dunedin on the South Island of New Zealand. So I brought them together and to be honest, this podcast episode could have been an hour and a half long. Good morning to you, Fiona. And I've been excited like a child, you know, for days. It's such a pleasure and I'm so, well, yes, I'm so honoured really to be talking to somebody, you know, who, who, who works with these fantastic plants. So I've just had a wee look through your garden and it's amazing. Well, I'm wanting to share with you that I have, the, you know, for a long time, uh, New Zealand plants, you know, nobody knew about them. Uh, and then what I'm trying to do is to create a piece of New Zealand in London. You have. You can oh, feel well. quite sure that you have. Oh, well, that's great. Right? It, it's so impressive. And, and it seems to me that you have been embracing these amazing plants for a long time and you've been promoting them for a very long time. I have. I have. It's been, it's been my mission. You know, well, everyone that, needs a mission. Yes. Well, as you say down under, good on you. Yes. <laughs> Good on you. No, I mean, you're going to be my heroine because, you know, it, it's felt a little bit lonely because the thing that's very boring about, sorry, if I'm offending Sally or anybody, you know, who creates English gardens, there's nothing wrong with them. But my, my point about, you know, if you have a cottage, English cottage garden, what on earth are you looking at? Between November and April, nothing. I'm so with you. I am so with you. I go New Zealand plants. They're so structural. Exactly. You know, and you exactly. get them all year round. And we've got everything from big leaves to tiny leaves, and we've got the strappy leaves, and we've got the foliage color. I think is just not appreciated. You know, a camellia or a rhododendron blobs. For 89, 95 oh percent, oh my god, oh my god. Oh my god. You know? you've just I agree with you because but Sally has just done a fantastic podcast about a woman in Australia who grows camellias. Yes, I know, but I'm with you. I've got one miserable camellia in my garden. I mean, it's it's actually very beautiful. Guiding us back to Kurokia. Are there questions about Karoki you want you to ask? Back to the topic, Mona. <laughs> right, yes, right. Okay, Karokias. So, A do, A, do you like them, Fiona? And B, do you have them? I have got a, um, I did create a hedge of them in, in the gar place that I'm in now, very little, because um, we have got a, a place in central Otago, and so I wanted a very small garden here. And I'd have to say, Mona, if you take gardening on as a job, your desire to do it at home is not high. I'm sure. I'm sure. 
So, Fiona, what what stunned the shift, do you think, to people in New Zealand shifting as well a bit to more native New Zealand plants? What's what's brought that about? Is it the younger generation? It is much, much what's, more what's the younger the... generation, all right? Yes, people were doing it of my generation, but people at that time had exotic gardens and they had a native garden. So they weren't thinking that they're all just plants. So they would have a native section of their garden, may have, all right, or not at all. You know, if you think of somewhere like Christchurch, which for a long time was called itself the garden city, it was just English, you know, that's all it was. But now, having just been up working with Wellington City Parks Department, they're saying that people are complaining that they're not planting anything else. They're just planting New Zealand natives. <laughs> and, yeah. Considering the variety of New Zealand I natives, I mean, take your pick. I know, but you commonly get used those that are easy to produce and easy to grow. So you end up then with a mildly limited palette because people right. don't grow which is you know when I was with Oratea Native Plant Nursery we grew a humongous range of New Zealand native plants you know mm. those nurseries mm. don't really exist anymore you know some stuff you know you would only be able to grow from buy from us because we thought that there was always people out there who wanted the unusual New Zealand natives and people say well I can't buy it and as I put in my book, well, the reason you can't buy it is you don't go to your retail outlet and say, I want this. And then they will get the nurseries to grow them. But if the nurseries don't see exactly. that there is a market, they will not grow it because they're not going to make any money out of it. Yeah, it's a catch-22 situation. Yes, it is. And it? it's the public's so, fault. It is the public's fault. There would be more oh. there if you asked for it. So, so when you wrote that book, when you wrote that book, The 100 Best Native Plants for New Zealand Gardens, was that your kind of aim with it, Fiona, to try and encourage people to do you know, it? Or did you just think, oh, I'll just, just write a, a book about it? randomest thing. Plants. So someone who was a bit dyslexic as a child and totally moved into sciences, so I'm much more interested in how plants work. But my whole native thing came because of working at the nursery, working with the native side of it, and... Someone used to come into the nursery all the time. And when I was, she said to me at one point, you need to write a book. And I went, me, you know, the dyslexic writing a freaking book. But I'd sort of had vaguely <laughs> training myself out of it by trying to slow my brain down, which worked really well. And then she said, no, you do it. And I had a whole pile of information in my head, like a massive amount of information. And really it was a it was a head dump. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yes, and it went, I mean, for a New Zealand book, it has sold phenomenally well in terms of its success. And when you consider it's been revised twice, and I figured each time I can change the plants because it's my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then my initial blurb got bigger on how to look after plants. You know, what to think about from the, their whole perspective. You know, it's that whole thing that I did try to get a book written is gardening from a plant's perspective. And just because we tend to garden from our own perspective rather than thinking about gardening in terms of what do our plants want from us. 
As always, I wanted to leave you with the knowledge to grow the plant in the story, and the experts were already in the room. I always ask this question, can I grow it in a pot? Do I have to grow it in the ground? Because a lot of people don't have big gardens and they might not have balconies. I got a perfect pot plant, all right? Oh, great. I, I, am, an, I am an expert in pots because I don't water them, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I know all the plants you can grow in pots of New Zealand natives, all right? Because I've done it. And it's that whole thing that they like it reasonably dry. So if you go away for two weeks for a summer holiday, two weeks, if you give us some water before you go, it's a pretty hardy, they're pretty hardy mothers. They will actually be able to, you'll come back, yep, I'll be a bit stressed, but hey, just give me some more water. Would you agree, Mona? Absolutely. And let me tell you something. There is a very, very, very famous woman who's now in her 80s, a very famous author who lived, you know, in Egypt and other things. So she's not really into um, English plants. She's called Penelope Lively. And she actually wrote a novel called uh, uh, Oleander Jacaranda or Jacaranda Oleander or something like that. And she came to my garden and she told me that I nearly fainted because I wouldn't have the guts, you see. I, I tend to cluck, I'm like a mother hen, I tend to cluck over them and probably mm. water them too much. She's had the same Corocchia cotoneaster in a pot for 25 years. Right. And that's it. The stronger you've got to the cotoneaster side of it, so that the smaller of the leaf, the more divaricating the habit, which is like a twiggy habit, yeah. which New Zealand abounds in, is that can survive in central Otago, all right, which is very, very low rainfall, you know, under under 12 inches, 12 inches a year, all right? It can survive yeah. up there. Yeah. And so that is why the smaller the leaf of your cultivar, it's more of the cotoneaster yeah. it's going to have in its gene pool, so the more tolerant it's going to be. 20 exactly. years, that is such a good number. I love that. 25. 25, sorry. Got it wrong, Mona. 25. 25 bloody years. I mean, yeah. you know, whereas I, of course, being, you know, the kind of, you know, I, I'm glad I didn't have children because I would have kind of smothered them with too much attention. So, of course, I had all, I wanted to show karaokeas in different leaf forms and shapes and colors. So I had them all in pots on, a, on planks for about six, seven years. And then I started fretting because I thought, my God, they've overgrown these pots. I can feel, you know, like Chinese women whose mm. feet have been, you know. I, they, I do, I personally have better success with things directly in the ground. So I thought okay. the time has come for them to come out of their pots. And I said to a friend, they're like, they're, they're like you know, siblings. They belong together. Also, you know, the contrast of their leaves, it goes so well. I don't have the space to put them somewhere else. And she said, why are you, why are you making such a fuss about it? Get them out of the pots. Get rid of, you know, the planks. And where they are, create terraces. So they'll they'll grow next to each other into the soil, mm. and that's what I've done. And sun or shade, though sun or sun or shade. Oh, sun. They'll take like shade. And I would go just as possibility minor, and I'm not sure if this is right, because if you put them in light shade, then they're protected and they're not as harsh in terms of in your cold winters. You know how you've got a tree 
yes. sitting above something. And so if yes. you've got light shade, I'm wondering if that would be better for your winter conditions. Because, I mean, I know at Lawrence Castle we have grown some plants there, which you know, which are some of the which I have bought down and stuff, because I arrived down from Auckland with a trailer load of plants and a lot of them went to Lionel's Castle because I thought, well, it's much better that they go there where they can all be seen. And I have been astounded at what has survived there, which in Auckland would get frosted if there was a big frost, whereas they are surviving in Dunedin. But a big thing is, is for the more tender ones is putting them slightly under a tree fern or under. So that's where... I would go, croakers are 100% happy in a light shade. And if you're in a part of England which where you do get harsher conditions, then you are more likely that it's going to be less hit in your winters. And it's drier because, again, around trees, because the tree is sucking up a lot of the water. Exactly. And so you are getting that scenario where you are keeping it drier when you are getting your big rains. And I was going to say, what kind of soil do they really like? Not rich soil. No. Unless you've got a cotoneaster. Yeah. If you've got if you've got um, a butterlyoides, they're a forest margin. You know, it's quite amazing because you've, you've got a forest margin species, parochia butterlyoides, yeah. and you've got parochia cotoneaster, which can handle desert-like conditions. And so it is in the more sort of like what you were talking about, Mediterranean-type species, you know, in the open very divaricating habit, and this tree, and you put the, that's the thing with plants, eh? you put them, they occur close together, and obviously they did randomly, but I'm blowed if I can find out where, they just go, how are you tonight? You want to have babies? And they just yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's true love, it's true love. So this bizarre, you've got really two completely, you've got two carochias in different parts, developing in different ways, and out of that, we have ended up with just, zillions of different exactly exactly but that's but i'm going to go it's sort of new zealand plants because new zealand is such a young country i mean really compared to places like europe and things you know we only really you know we've we've floated the ocean you know and we're, we're here where we are at the moment but no doubt if you come back in another few million years we'll be somewhere else mm. but we're just sitting on this plate and we've sunk and risen you know most of our flora is you know 10, 20 million years old, a yeah. lot of it, like the Hebe's, 5 yeah. million years, you know. Yeah. Seed yeah. comes over on a, on a bird that gets lost in a big wind, lands here, yeah. Veronica, you know, and we've got this massive range of Hebe's now yeah. because the Hebe just came here and went, oh, there's a spot I could grow and there's a spot I could grow and they just diversified like nothing in New Zealand. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, the Karakias, the, the, um, same thing, you know, yeah, it's just, exactly. we've still got massive hybridization. Exactly. And that's where I go in New Zealand. New Zealanders want everything to stay the same, but no. actually, What's we're, fun? We're not, we can't, but we can't because our plants. Yeah. And they want going, to evolve and develop and become different. Yes. And, yeah. I think yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident on the end of this, we're going to have some people looking for Karakias. They are a Astounding. I mean, that is. Yeah. I mean, going to come back to Mona's thing is the leaf color range from two species is absolutely it's, phenomenal. It's mind-boggling. You can't yeah. believe they end up not looking like the parents at all. You wonder. You wonder what the milkman looked like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you think, for mm. God's sake. I mean, mm. the, the <laughs> one parent has got very greeny kind of, you know. 
olivey, olivey yeah. green. You know, it That's looks like an olive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 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 large. And the other one has got tiny, tiny thing with all twisted. And then suddenly you have a thing with that go, to, goes all bronze in the winter, and then goes spearheaded. And then you suddenly turn, look at something, and it, it, it it's completely yellow. And you think, where did that come from? And then suddenly you have something else. And they look completely different. And, and I also love that, about them, you end up with some that are divaricating, which is like very, very twiggy with, yeah, and lovely silvery new growth. And they just yeah. look stunning. And so if you, I love that. For Me too. Because if you put that with, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, Mona, we're on the same page. But if you have that, Next to some of your big leaf stuff, I mean, you could even have it near hostas and things, you know. And yeah. suddenly, you know, some people like hostas, but if you've got hostas with their big leaves, and then you've got this lovely divaricating dark black stems with little silvery undersized leaves, and it just looks stunning. And you've got that contrast where they accentuate one another. You know, exactly. that's what I think New Zealand plants have. They create that contrast. Exactly. That's why I have them. to Mona and Fiona, who I hope will stay in touch. As Mona has decided to leave her garden to the charity perennial, all her hard work and passion for New Zealand plants will continue to inspire gardeners. Do listen out for the offshoot episode where we dig into the absolutely fascinating history of that charity. Our Plant Stories is an independent podcast and you can support it by buying me a coffee on the website or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Either or both would be much appreciated. It's presented and produced by me, Sally Flatman.